Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Doe's Nose. This episode is being brought to you in part by our friends at Green, Hurley, Kona Boys, Kona Coffee and Tea, GoPro, and Onnit. Don't forget, if you're ever on the Big Island and you want to catch that 1,000-pound marlin, you better go check out Captain Trevor Child on the Maverick Sport Vision. Um, it's, it's seriously a badass boat. This thing's like 40 feet long. It's fully air-conditioned with bedrooms and bathrooms, kitchen, living room. Um, yeah, it's air-conditioned. It's pretty badass, man. Uh, give them a call at 808-896-7985 or find them online at mavericksportfishingkona.com. Uh, just tell them you heard it on those notes. He will get you completely hooked up. Don't forget, you guys can find me on all social media, such as on Instagram, Dozer Dave and Doze Nose Podcast. On Facebook, it's Dozer Dave Barnett and Doze Nose Podcast. And on Twitter, it's Dozer Dave Nose. Don't forget, you can go to my website where you can see a more in-depth look at our guests, links to their bios, links to our sponsors, and all kinds of other good good deals that are going out there. Uh, so go check it out at dozedoze.com. Um, this week I'm really excited because I have my good friend on here, Neil Kamimura. Um, how many of you guys are fans of that TV show, Forged in Fire? I know I am. It's such a badass show. You get to see these guys make all these badass knives and swords and, and you name it from way back when to current day stuff and then they get to see how it works try it out on slabs of beef and you know ropes and leather and watermelon and see how they cut well my friend Neil was the winner of season season 4 episodes 8 through 21 Um, the guy's crazy he ended up going back um, and for the champions of champions uh, and came in second and you guys got to understand, he's only been doing this. When he started, when he was on that show, he had less than a year's experience in knife making. And now he's created this business where he's like one of the most um, sought-after knife makers in the world. And the thing is with Neil, he actually uh, has history in it, though, because his grandfather was a knife maker back in Japan. And uh, he's got a really cool story. He's such an awesome human being. Coolness just exudes out of this human being. I love this guy. Um, Neil, welcome to Doze Notes. Welcome to Doe's Nose. How's it going? Good morning. Good, man. Um, if you see me go like this, that just means come a little closer to the mic. Okay. But um, 
dude, we've been trying to do this for a while, and I'm really, really excited. I got the call this morning, and you're like, hey, can you come down here? And I was like, fuck yeah, dude, I'm down. <laughs> so, you know, it's for me, it's I'm really excited, you know, um, seeing one of our own right here from Kona. You know, we've known each other for a long time, and uh, I remember, you know, just years ago, you know, you were one of the first guys to, you, you've always been developing something, you know, and you used to be a mechanic. Yeah. Um, and I remember you were the first guy to kind of start doing a biodiesel deal. And all of a sudden you started grabbing, you know, oils from restaurants and stuff. And you're like, look what I'm doing here and now. And uh, start, just started this whole deal. And, and to see where you are now, you know. Um, what you've progressed to and um, and what it's taken you to get to where you are right now. I'm just super, super excited to see one of our own. So, No, absolutely. Like, you know, life is a journey and we're just constantly learning and adapting and trying new things, right? Yeah. Well, it's cool because we're sitting in your, in your new shop here. Well, you've owned it now for a few years. Yeah. And... Uh, and you just got done, you know, I'm looking at this slew of knives right here, this beautiful Damascus steel. And, uh, you know, I'm not, exa- I, I'm not exactly sure what Damascus steel is. I know it's the best. It's almost like Game of Thrones. It's like equivalent to Valerian steel, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, it's forge welded, so there's layers and layers of steel. Like I use 1095 or 10 series steel with 15 and 20 to create those layers so some steels react differently to you know the acid and the treatments that we do so it's it's an you're able to make a high quality knife but also to put some artistic flavor into it also right now how did you get into this you know it was just so random for you because it wasn't it wasn't like hey you've been building knives your whole life you know, I remember when you kind of first came together with, I saw you at Kona Coffee and Tea, and you just started building some knives, and everybody was like, that's cool, you know? Yeah, I actually, uh, my great-grandfather was a uh, an immigrant from Japan, and uh, he came to Hawaii on boat and worked for the sugarcane. And so he was put in the blacksmith camp, I guess the, I'm not 100% sure, but I guess the generations before him in our family were blacksmiths also. Wow. And so he ended up becoming a phenom cane knife builder for the sugar canes. And they actually, he was the first person that they were importing to other sugar canes, like, you know, the other places like Maui and stuff, his cane knives when they have blacksmiths there. Wow. Um, he was kind of well known. His, uh, his signs in the Japanese American History Museum. He had a shop in Hilo from the 30s to 1990. And his name was Teiji Kamimura. So he owned T. Kamimura Blacksmith. Wow. And his son was a barber. My dad was a, you know, contractor. And then I was actually a, you know, electrician. And I was always in the construction field. And then, but I always, as a hobby, worked on cars, always welded, always fabricated. Right. And uh, I knew that about the history of my great grandpa, so I always kind of had an interest in it. But you know, I started watching TV shows about it. It was starting to gain popularity, and it was more accessible, so you could see how people were doing it. And it piqued my interest, but I just never pulled the trigger. And then, um, you know, for me, I come from a very unique—not a unique. I think it's fairly common. But my background is. Um, 
my mom suffered from extreme mental illnesses and uh i've been taking care of her since i was you know 19 years old and i financially took care of her for years and uh she ended up uh committing suicide on you know on a drug overdose and uh you know and and it's it's a struggle like when I look back at who I was before knife making, I was a pretty miserable person. And right. the, the things that we learned from, you know, for me, I learned from my mom, like things like guilted love and being addicted to misery and being a miserable person. Like I, that's who I was, you know, and I, and I let it control my life. And, uh, and at this point, you know, my mom's dad had committed suicide. She had committed suicide. Oh. I had issues with depression and suicide myself and had a lot of issues and and I struggled with it and I let it ruin my first marriage, you know, and then now this happened to me and, you know, I got a little son and I got a, you know, an adopted son that's older and I got them looking at me like, what am I going to do, you know? So is it going to continue on to another generation? And so I... uh you know, I knew I needed something to do, and I would work on my car, and it would just frustrate me. I'd just punch the whole side of the fender in the car. You know, it just it just right. frustrated me. And one of my close friends came down and brought me a forge and half of an anvil that got broken in half. And he was like, "Hey, just try it out. You right. know, you love that show, Forge and Fire. You know, you love watching Jesse James. You know, when he started doing blacksmithing. So I was like, you know, and and then that was the week my mom had died, and so. I lit it up and forged my first knife in it. I knew instantly that that's what I was meant to do. Right. You know, like I had to identify my mom's body. It was like three days old and I struggled with it because it was like this situation where at a young age, my mom would make me promise her, don't ever let me die alone. She would always say that and I never right. quite understood it, you know, but... You know, when I had to identify her body, it was three days old and it was just, you know, it was a hard image to get out of my head. And when I was forging, I didn't see it. Right. And so I forged 70 knives in the first six months Mm. of knife making. And then the girl that I was seeing at the time, she was like, I owe a lot of it to her because she... (laughs) was like my hugest fan like everybody else all my friends would be like hey knife guy what are you doing like in your little shed like beating away on these things and every day i would come home i'd bring home a knife and she would be it would be better than the day before and she'd be super excited and so she ended up signing me for forge and fire oh really yeah and uh and i was like i couldn't believe it you didn't even know you know i mean i knew but i thought she was joking you know like and i literally got a call the next day and then, uh, uh, you know, Forge and Fire let me on. By that time, when I went on, I had eight months' experience. I had an ang- I was making knives with an angle grinder and uh, and just real basic tools. And so, you know, by the time I went on, I had just bought a regular knife grinder, like a two by seventy two. And uh, you know, I went. I ended up going on that show, and I ended up winning it. You know, and. It, you know, they, just because that I was used to having bare bones, right. you know, and in, I always rushed. I'm a rusher, you know, and so, you know, I was able to win that show. They brought me back. I went up for Champions of Champions, went up against like four months later, and I ended up 
competing against people that have been doing it as long as I've been alive and really talented people. And I was fortunate enough to uh, win again. No, I came in second. Oh, nice. And uh, But, you know, it, for me, that show is not really about winning. Like, winning that show doesn't mean anything. It just means that you were lucky that day. Right, right. Like, there's so many talented people that have been on that show. It's not a level of how good you are as a craftsman. It's just, one, it's how well you do under pressure. And a lot of knife makers make knives because they enjoy taking their time right right they enjoy right. being craftsman and not a rusher and my personality is kind of fit for competition because you know in hawaii we're put to challenges every day like growing up in kohala and in waimea if you didn't fight when somebody wanted to fight you never make it through school if you didn't jump off the cliff or catch the set that was yours you're never going to make it in hawaii so we're like built and bred for competition and yeah. so you know we mentally we have the mindset to go in there and and handle it and i and you know for me i carry a lot of hawaii pride whenever i'm doing something that's being watched it's that's the pride that i hold because we were always one as a community you know right and i you know the one thing that i've noticed you on the show is you're also bringing aloha with you you know um you've also uh you have a style about you that's really, really cool. You know, um, it's the Japanese influence. Um, just, you know, it could be just the way your hair grows on your face, you know, to your hair, you know, and then the tattoos. You look like a samurai, you know. Um, you wear your hair back in a bun and, uh, you know, you just, you look cool. You know, it's, it's I, I remember when I first met you, I was, I was like, God, this guy looks cool. Well, this is the kind of guy I want to hang out with, you know? And uh, I mean, you know, it's funny. It was before I started making knives, I had short hair. I had a pompadour. Right, right. I built 50s cars, so I had that was my style. And when I started making knives, I just didn't even have time to go to the barbershop. Right. Like, I literally was making knives every day, and my hair just kept growing and growing. Well, she, and as you can see, I, I hit the barbershop a couple of months ago, finally. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it just kind of transformed into this person. I, I always make a joke because people, you know, I made my apron like a samurai, samurai warrior, like, right. garb. And, and the reason why I did it is because everywhere I went, people are like, oh, you look like a samurai. And I tell people all the time, I don't look like a samurai. I'm a direct descendant. Like, look right. at me. Like, my last name is Kamimura. It's not like, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's, it's working well for you, bro. It's definitely working well for you. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. And uh, I've, I've seen your following grow from, like, almost nothing to just massive overnight. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh you got a lot of people that that you know love to watch watch you see what you're doing and you're inspiring a lot of people. I try and uh you know, for me I try and show the real person right. that I am on Instagram, you know what I mean? I, I will never take money to be on Instagram. If you see me post about a person or you see me post about a brand, it's because I'm their friend and I know them and I know what they believe in and, and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, you know, but for me, to to do it full time, like, I want to be the best that I can be. Like, so I'm not in competition with anybody else out there. There's so right. many great makers. Yes, I have one of the largest followings on Instagram as a, as a sole knife maker, but that doesn't measure like how good I am. I'm well, you know, one of the cool things I've seen about you is, you know, people are coming up here to order a knife from you. Okay. And you're like, 
yeah, that's awesome. But you know what? How about we build it together? You know, you're not just one of those people that are like, okay, I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to be the only guy that's going to build this stuff. No, I want to, I want to spread this. I want to be able to teach this to other people. Yeah. So you're bringing in men, women, girls, boys, teaching them through the whole process of, uh, uh, you know, I don't even know what the whole process is yet. I'm excited to one of these days be able yeah. to come in here and build a knife with you. Um, but just to be able to, you know, learn that and spread this tradition. And maybe somebody's going to pick this up. And I'm sure you've already had quite a few people go, hey, oh, my God, I love this. Oh, and yeah. I want to do this. I mean, and another way is it shows it helps show. It helps show people the amount of work that's involved in it. So whether they want to do it later or not, they know the work that's involved. And, you know, that's my one of my serious goals is to highlighting the American craftsmen. We have so much, you know, worthless people that are popular for no because they got some viral video of doing something stupid. And then there's these masters that create things with their hands. I mean, they basically take inexpensive objects and turn them into masterpieces. And that's, you know, my, my focus. So you constantly see me posting about other knife makers and, and different things. But, you know, the focus for me is I'm, I'm in a constant battle with myself. Right. You know, I'm the only person that I'm competing against. And so, you know, as, as, individuals we all deal with i deal with serious mental issues and when i can turn my problems and focus and concentrate them onto work and create something that people treasure and you know hand down from generation to generation in the future like it means something to me and i tell people all the time when you get a knife from me you're getting one of my problems right you know and 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 so i'm just trying to be the best that I can be and stick with my style. And so a lot of times people get frustrated with me because I don't answer DMs and I don't, sure. you know, take a lot of requests, but it's because I'm focused on the craft. I'm not right. focused on the money or the selling. Like Now, now a question, you know, talking about your problems and, and the, you know, the mental issues and stuff, um, you know, it sounds like you're, you're, when, you, when you're building a knife or you're building something here, that's your way of trying to pound it out and just block it out of you. But how are you dealing with, you know, because I actually care about you. Um, I want to know how are you dealing with it in another way? Because I, like you said, it's, it's been in your family. It's in your family line. So I don't want to see you just sitting here pounding it out and not taking care of, the, taking care of it. You know what I'm saying? No, yeah. And so like... What has got me to where I'm at now in a healthy state where I don't deal with the issues that I've dealt with before was because I had to become honest with myself and really look at myself in the mirror where we all tell ourselves two truths all the time. Mm -hmm. So when if you were to ask me before, oh, why have you attempted to commit suicide in your past? And I would tell them, well, it's because, you know, I'm a third generation family member that suffers from depression everybody you know in my family is like that and i just want the noise to stop that's your basic answer and we live in a world that people and the society that we live in like accommodate that they will tell you oh yeah that totally makes sense i feel for you blah 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 they don't tell you the hard truth now the real truth is that i'm just addicted to misery at the time and that i was 
that was the only way I could get someone to love sure. me. Sure, sure. Just tell them, imagine if you had to live with the guilt of me dying. So stay with me. Don't leave me. Ah. And that's the only love I knew because that's how my mom, what my mom did to me. Right. And so once I was able to come to the real truth of what my issues that I were, was having, that was one. Then the next thing was you don't realize as a person, you take pieces from yourself you hand it to your children. You take pieces from yourself. You hand it to the person that you're in a relationship with. Mm-hmm. You take pieces. You hand it to your friends. You take pieces. You give it to your nine to five job. And then you have this empty hole. Right. Right. And so it's hard to see who you are and what you want in life. And when you find something that you're passionate about, whether it's being a parent or making knives or having a podcast, when you find something you're passionate about it, that starts to fill the void. Right. And once you fill that void, you truly learn to love yourself as an individual, which is an extremely hard thing to do mm-hmm. and so once you i once i was able to find that and allow good things to happen to me and then when you start seeing yourself as a whole person you start understanding your needs and who you are and it's easier to be honest because once you do that then you are able to be the author of your book and your story sure so what happens is my life was just a character i just was gonna be a third generation fuck up that did the same as the last. Right. But I got a I got a two beautiful boys that I'm so fortunate to have and they're the greatest kids in the world and you know I, I, I can't represent that for them. I can't tell them live life to its fullest, take chances, you know, be a good man if I'm not that. And so I knew that it was important for me to set the example. And so once I started seeing myself as a whole person, I was able to start being the author in my book, not a character that just fucks up all the time. Now I'm the author. Every day I can wake up and write a new page in what I'm creating for my boys to leave behind and who I am as a father, who I am as a husband, and who I am to the knife community and to the Hawaii community. That's so important. That's so important. I'm so glad to hear you. You're able to find that and and able to work with that because I've had a lot of friends that have, you know, um, committed suicide and, you know, I've never been able to sit down there and talk to them about it because it's already too late, you know, and, and it's something that, um, me personally, I've, I've, uh, never had to struggle with that, but I've had to struggle with you know, friends having to do that. And um, so I'm glad we're able to sit here and talk about that because that's huge. And there's a lot of people out there in the world that are struggling. It's it's an important message. And people ask me all the time, why do you share it? Like, aren't you embarrassed by it? Or, you know, how do you, how are you so open with it? And I tell people, the more you say it, Mm -hmm. right, the less uncomfortable it is. And if it saves one person, exactly, it's worth it. Just one. That's one it. person. If somebody sees me and they're like, dude, this guy is living the American dream. Yeah. Right? He found something that he wanted and within three years is is making knives full time, right? At the same time struggling through darkness. But at the same time we can be could be on the same level and they can under they can understand, you know, right. what's going on. Right. Well, I'm glad that, you know, I'm glad we were able to get this out there. And, um, you know, you've um, been able to just turn this into something that's just 
amazing and uh you know watching everybody come in here and you being so full of love and aloha teaching people how to make these knives i'm sure it's got to bring a lot of gratification back to you i mean yeah i try not to teach too much because (laughs) i'm uh you know i'm a beginner myself but i had opportunities to work with great guys like Mareko malmasi he came for two weeks you know and he change the whole way and approach that i do i wouldn't do damascus if it wasn't for him you know and and so i'm constantly looking at how i can help the knife community and so one of the things is we're filming the american craftsman you know i'm doing a bunch of episodes with recoil and blade magazine and carnivore magazine and we're gonna really showcase these people in a very beautiful light, like a documentary style and showing their passion for the craft and why they teach. But, you know, I mean, for me, people ask me all the time, like, how do you get to that level where you can do it full time? I get that asked all the time. And what people don't realize, like, not just with knife making and everything, is that we constantly having have to live in a state where we're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Because the moment that we're comfortable, we're not pushing ourselves to our full potential. So if you want to become something, there's nothing standing in the the way but yourself. You know what I mean? Like, right. And that's what I had to come to the conclusion with. If I want to do this, you know, I can be a family man, spend time with my kids. But you know what? My kids are not up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Right. So I can be here making knives. Right. You know, there's so much time that we have that we spend sitting in front of the tv and don't get me wrong i watch tv you know or or on our phones or whatever but there's also things that if we want it we have to constantly be living in the uncomfortable pushing ourselves pushing ourselves and that's why i never really make the same knife twice because i just want to always be adapting because once we see ourselves as a whole person once we you know, are honest with ourselves. Once we love ourselves, now the next thing to do is to really just grab a hold of it. It's standing right in front of us. Right. And we just got to, you know, take a hold of it, take charge of it, start writing our story and be whatever we want because, like, that's the best thing that we can ever find. It's the same thing I say all the time. The richest you will ever be is the ability to follow your passion. Right. And that's that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because I've worked my ass off doing the same thing for 30-something years. You know, um, I wanted to try something different. Just get out there, get out of my comfort zone, and uh, and then be able to try and create something that's going to let me sh- spend more time with my family, the people I love, uh, my friends and uh, and it's working, you know. But at the same time, now I'm also finding myself with a lot more time on my hands because I can't sit on the microphone all day, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I'm looking for things like you know my ex girlfriend. She kind of got me into uh, shaping stones, you know, taking raw pieces of rock, cutting, polishing them, you know, doing cool stuff like that. And uh, but even now, you know, I'm looking for more. I'm looking for for more things to do. So, yeah, I totally understand. I mean, you definitely have the voice yeah. for a podcast. <laughs> you got the face for it too. You know, <laughs> you got the face for radio, bro. Just keep that thing locked up in a room. And <laughs> but um, now, whenever you're building these knives here, um, 
You know, we talk about Damascus steel. What what is Damascus steel? Uh, I'm the I'm the worst person to ask. Like, you know, I I recently trained with a uh, uh, renowned bladesmith, Michael Quisenberry, and uh, you know, he told me, uh, "Your right hand is your dumb hand. Your left hand is your smart hand." You know, as you're forging. And he's like, and you're just, you know, I pretty much forge like an animal. Okay. Like, everything is instinctual. So if you were to ask me, what is this? What I don't even know. Right. Like, I'm like the worst technical person in the planet. Like, people ask me all the time, and I, I really don't know. I just know what works for me, and that's what makes me a horrible teacher is I just tell people, hit it harder. Like, <laughs> don't, right. don't, you know, like. No, D- Damascus steel, though, is something that you, it's, it's not like, hey, I'm going to go dig up a piece of Damascus steel. No, no, it, it's forged welded layers, and there's multiple ways that you can expose patterns and control the shapes and the designs of the pattern welding inside one metal has more like nickel in it or something so it's more it's it when you ferric acid it it turns the 10 series steel or 1095 1084 1080 whatever you know steel black and then the other stuff doesn't react to that right that ferric and so that's what creates that black and silver imaging like image so if you layer it that's how you're going to get all that's how you see where all the forge welds are and right this on the pattern and um does that make it stronger uh i don't know i mean you know i mean it's definitely challenging to do because if you can imagine there's a minimal of a hundred to a thousand forge welds in there you know and so if one piece doesn't forge weld out of the hundreds and hundreds of layers it's throw away so it's it's high risk and it takes a lot of uh experience to do a lot of patience and a lot of patience i mean it's something that i wasn't really interested in doing and after training with moreco like he changed my approach to it you know and and um i really enjoy it now it's just another version for me to express my artistic styling onto it and i'm learning a lot about it and once again it's pushing yourself into the uncomfortable i was comfortable with forging a mono steel blade grinding it you know making it strong making it cut but then now is at a point where i wanted to try something a little bit differently and fortunately he's a close friend of mine and he was able to share years of knowledge with me i mean it was priceless how long does it normally take you to build uh you know one of these kind of knives right here a couple Um, of days I'm a rusher, so I mean, like I did ten knives in two weeks, but that's pretty rare. I mean, I mean, yeah. you know, that's that's not common. A lot of knife makers take their time and really. Are you doing one at a time, or are you going okay? I'm I got ten of them right here. I'm going to just go through each process one at a time. Uh, no, for me, like I'll do. Uh, I'll start working on a Damascus billet. Like it's about five pounds. Right. And I'll start forge welding it and, you know, cutting it and stacking it and creating the patterns that I want. And I typically do that on Sunday. And then every day that I come in, I forge a knife. And then mm-hmm. while that one's going through its thing, I'm like grinding a knife, another knife that, the, you know, and then I'm doing handles in the afternoon. So every day I'm working on about three different knives right. in a series. You know, while because there's a lot of processes that people don't realize, like tempering, mm-hmm. you know, etching, and you know, and like all my wood is stabilized, and you know, all these different processes all take time. What's your favorite one that you've done so far? You know, 
Was there a name for it? No, I personally, I don't have, I have zero attachment to any knife I make. Yeah. There's only one knife that I've really kept, and it's my first knife. Right. That's it. I mean, I find more enjoyment in seeing people be excited about it. Like, when I make a knife, I don't want it them to own it because it's the most expensive or it's the cheapest or any of those things. I want people to want a knife for me because when they pick it up, if they're a chef, they're inspired they're gonna to do something. It's going to feel good. It's going to freaking do the well, job. Yeah, not just that. I mean, you know, knives cut. I mean, you right. know what I mean? I mean, yes, and I, you know, I hope that my knives cut a little better than some of the other knives and hold better edges. That's the goal. But my ultimate goal is for them to see that I put 100% into the knife. Right. Like, and so that when they pick up the knife and use it, it inspires them to try and cook something new or, right. or when they're carrying it at work to like go a little further, you know, and, and be inspired by not the most perfect knife. My knives are not perfect. Like, I, you know, like I, not even close, you right. know, like I'm still a beginner, you know, but it's raw. It's real. It's an ex- it's a direct expression of my personality, and I want it to inspire people to try and follow what they're passionate about and push themselves hard. You know, I work 60 to 70 hours a week, you know, to produce these things, and I do it by myself. No, not a single person touches my knives in this show. Right. So, you know, that's what I want from people when they own a knife from me, and that's why when I sell a knife, you know... I talk to the individual and I ask them what they do and I get to know them. I do not put my knives on a website where it just goes off to somebody I don't know. Right, exactly. Well, you know, one of the things I noticed um, on watching the show Fortune Fire, um, you know, they're they're very critical, you know, and I see it in a way as them, they're also guiding, they're teaching you. Um, you know, a handle should be like this. It should be weighted this way, um, uh just you know shapes and all kinds of stuff have you been able to take some of that from that show and oh i mean absolutely like i just did a samurai sword and you know one of the biggest critiques i've always gotten on this show is that my stuff's super heavy right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because i was new and i feared what they were going to do to it and so when i made my you know when i talked to ben abbott ben abbott was the judge on the last episode i was on and he, he told me the next sword you make i want you to weigh it and so when I did make my samurai sword, it was a 25-inch blade, and it weighed one pound and three ounces. Right. It was a fraction of what the swords I made for Forge and Fire, and, you know, and it was just as strong. And, uh, and it was full Damascus. It was 200 and, I forget, 200-something layered random Damascus, you know. And, um, but, yeah, Forge and Fire is a great show to bring awareness to what people are are doing um you know i mean and there's you know i'm personal friends with every single person on that show you know from will will is one of my closest friends i mean he's a super nice guy and, and i wasn't able to know now, will, will is the, is will the, the one? host okay will's the, the host yeah who's the one that does all the martial art like doug markaida doug yes yeah so i mean i wasn't able to befriend them while i was on the show sure. it's only till after i filmed my two episodes then i could start you know actually getting to know them so jay nielsen you know uh when I went on the show, my only experience that I really had was 
watching his DVDs, mm-hmm. and then now he's going to judge me. So he's going to watch everything. You know, that was kind of nerve wracking. But in the end, you know, he invited me up to his house, and I was able to make canister Damascus with him, forge with him. He's a wonderful guy. I mean, he's the nicest guy. I mean, he's he's a little hard on the show, but he's the representing master smith. Sure, that's his job. Will, he's the host. Amazing. Dude, he's like my brother, man. He's just like the realest guy you're ever going to meet. You know, there was past judges like Jason Knight. He, you know, he is the one of the most talented knife makers, you know, I ever met. You got a new judge, Ben Abbott. You know, you got Dave. You know, like, they're all great. Right. You know, they're all super nice guys. I mean, and, and David Baker, you know, he creates all the weapons that are presented. I mean, they're all they're all extremely talented. And a lot of people don't know Will is a knife maker. Since the show, he started making knives. And he makes a great knife, too. Wow, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. I remember a couple of years back, or maybe it was about a year ago, um, I met one of your friends here. I think he was one of the, you guys were going to partner up on something. He, I think he was a, yeah, so, he's a big, tall dude. Um. Can't remember. So you're talking about Demetrius. Demetrius, yeah. Yes. Demetrius, I competed with Demetrius on my first episode, and uh, we just hit it off. And uh, I told him, you know, if uh, you know, we competed against each other, and he actually went against. He did the harder challenge. I went for the mono steel. He did a sand mai, and they were they were critical on what he did. And he didn't make it past the first round, but he did try the hardest challenge. Right. And so I, I, he earned a lot of respect for me doing that. And then we just hit it off. We've always been friends. And so uh, when things kind of slowed down, I flew him out to Hawaii to work with me and do some more work. He ended up loving it. He ended up moving to the Big Island from Detroit. Nice. And uh, now he has a shop like three blocks away from my shop. And he does... You know, traditional blacksmith, like architectural style blacksmithing and welding and knife making. It does a little bit of everything. Nice. We just did a bunch of forged tomahawks together last week. Those got to be cool. Yeah. 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 No, he's a super awesome guy. Now, um, also, one of the best things about that show is at the end, you know, um, you get to see what was his name again? The martial art guy? Oh, Doug. Doug. Uh, get out there and just start, you know, cutting stuff and i see that you're doing a lot of that on your instagram that's got to be one of the funnest things you get to build this badass knife or sword or whatever it is and then just be able to go in there and cut through some meat some ropes some bottles whatever the hell it is it's gonna be pretty badass feeling yeah you know for me i kind of saw the importance of knives having to cut and be strong and tough from that show like i definitely got my career from that show um, but one of the more gratifying things for me is, I think, just cooking. Like, when I make a chef knife, which is one of the hardest knives to right. make, like, it is the most challenging knife to make is a chef knife that can perform with, you know. I go through so many chef knives at home because oh, yeah. I cook every meal. Yeah, and so it, it's a difficult knife to make. And, um, you know, once I made my first good chef knife, like that's the most gratifying thing and uh like my wife she's a chef and so uh you know when she gave me finally gave me the approval that my chef knife worked as good as you know her really expensive chef knife i was stoked except mine stays a lot sharper for a lot longer <laughs> well speaking of sharpness you know that's i think that's one of the main things that your average person um me as a hunter you know i have the hardest time keeping my knives sharp 
what can you recommend? Uh, is there any good process for us? Any I mean, any types of uh, excuse me grinders or every, everybody's a everybody's a little different. Like sometimes I actually make skinning knives, skinning knives, and they tell me to dull it back down because it's too sharp. It's, it's, it's going to cut through the high. Cuts through everything, and they can't really feel it. So there's a bunch of different ways. Like you can sharpen at 220 and leave almost mini serration. So as you're cutting, you can feel. Right. Like I did one skinning knife, and I made it to like 8,000 grit, and it was so crazy that it just cut through everything, and he couldn't feel it. Right. So we went back. Did a lower grit sharpening, buffed it, and so it's just as sharp, but you can actually feel the cut because it's like literally mini, mini serration. So, I mean, there's a bunch of different processes, but I mean, buy a good knife and strop it, right? You know, you know, when you use stain strop you, it with, with a leather, okay, you know, but I mean, you know, with, with high carbon, you don't want to use a steel rod okay. because it cuts, it, it cuts off what you're trying to rehone. Right. And so if you're using high carbon, you know, which rust and all those different things, but it has a wicked edge on it, you can't achieve it. You know, you want to use a ceramic rod and leather, right, to just gotcha. keep maintaining it. And then, you know, with stainless, you can use a steel rod or a diamond rod and, and same thing and then Yeah, because normally at home I've got a diamond rod. Yeah, and I'll just you know, yeah, and you don't want right to use that, that on a you don't want to use that on a, a high carbon. Okay, it's too aggressive. Like literally, high carbon doesn't deform as much, and so you're not trying to take material off. You're just trying to realign the cutting edge. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, some of uh, you know, like my good skinning knife, it's got a big arcing curve on it. You know, so as I'm coming down and I'm pulling the skin back, I can sit there and I can cut like this, and it's yeah. just going to constantly be cutting yeah. and then it's never going to have that hard point that's going to rip right through that skin yeah um i'll take the one with a harder point smaller knife and then i'll just work it down as i'm say i'm deboning the meat yeah, right yeah. there and uh separating the you know say like the uh the hamstring from the quad from the whatever you know yeah i mean you know for people that are are not comfortable using stone or whatever to sharpen their knives. I mean, work sharp. They make like a, like a million different attachments and tools to sharpen things. And you, you could be, you can, anyone can sharpen a knife on that. You know, like I got one for my wife because, you know, she cooks so much and like, you know, she has a, you know, she was running a team of cooks. And so they would just use these, really garbage stainless steel chef knives and they constantly need to be sharpened so i just got them one from WorkSharp, and you literally it's belt driven and it's all guided and i've seen those yeah and they just boom wicked wicked so that might be perfect for me then oh yeah like i mean it's it uses the same type of belts that i use to sharpen my knives gotcha. it's not like one of those double grinding horrible eat your knife thing yeah. Um, now, when you're talking about building knives, what is what is your process? How do you start? How do you pick a piece of metal? Um, because I see a lot of metal here. I, you know, I'm watching the show as well. I'm seeing leaf springs over here laying against your door. You know, you, sometimes you got coils yeah. from cars. Um, how, how do you decide? Hey, I'm I pick yeah. This. 
I started off in the reclaim, like because it's hard to get metal here at the time, and so like I was able to just reclaim material. So like farrier rust, leaf springs, coil springs, you know, I beams. No, not I beams. It has to be a carbon type based steel, like a hardenable steel, like you know, and so. I kind of worked with those for a while, and then now, you know, I'm working with Damascus. But for me, like, I pride myself in one thing. I want to be a great forger. Right. Um, I actually dislike grinding and handle work and all those things. I, I do it to finish the job. The part that I enjoy is the forging, the hammer work. And, you know, and that's an important part for me, and I train – you know, this year I'm going to be training with some of the best forgers in the world, and that that's what's important to now, me. Now, what is the hammer hammering actually doing? Is it just so the, straightening it out? No, no, I actually create all the shapes. I do yeah. not cut out my designs. Mm. So all of my shapes are created not through CNC, not through a grinder. They're forged with a hammer. Right, so, so say, say, say you take a piece that's two inches long, right? But you want to make like a machete style out of it. So you'll take the end part, um, heat that up more, keep pounding that out till it keeps spreading out. Oh yeah, I, is that? Am I yeah, kind of right? No, yeah, like I, you know, I forge things uh, to shape at, le- at least try to one hundred percent of the time, you know. And the the hammer and the anvil, it's not just for decoration. I mean, it's a big. It's the biggest tool in my shop. Right. You know, I don't I don't draw it on a flat bar of stock. I don't even, you know, some people will just forge the tip. Like, I don't even do that. I, my handles, everything is forged, hmm. every inch of it. And because uh, that's what's important to me. And it's something you don't really see, <laughs> you right. know. Like, right. But for me, it's super important. And I think that has given me the credibility as a knife maker. I can walk into a shop and forge a blade. Right. You know, where some people forge a little and grind a lot, like. I forge every single day. Well, how, how do you get one of those big uh, springs, you know, to straighten out and, uh, you know? Well, I mean, I... You I just throw the whole the thing? I grew up in the car. Right. In the car world, so I'm... Are you, you taking know, a torch and... No, I'll, I'll, I'll cut it with an angle grinder, cut yeah. a little piece off, you know? I mean, like, I try not to use reclaimed steel because my knives, like, you know, like, trying to produce a better and better product and there's no reason for me to constantly be making if somebody requests is i'll they'll mail me like a piece of their grandpa's tractor and i'll make them a knife from it right. you know what i mean but i used to only do reclaim material and now I, I i don't as much anymore yeah now what about quenching what is quenching what does that do <laughs> you know, I, I see I, so I just see the process. Yeah, right? so basically you're taking the steel, I mean, I don't know really the right terminology. You gotta ask like like the guys that are smart. I'm I went to seventh grade. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, like I said, this is Yeah, this so is you beginners. Yeah, so beginners. you heat it to critical. Right. Right. Whatever temperature that is for the particular steel you're working with. I actually do not run thermometers or gauges in my shop. It's all through visual eye coloration. And then you, when you wrap it, cool it, it hardens the blade. Right. And then from that point, it has to go into tempering where you're releasing some of the hardness to maximize the steel's strength, flexibility, edge retention, those types of things. So you're going to sit there. You're going to heat that piece of metal up. You're going to bring it out onto your anvil. You're going to beat that thing down. 
and then you're going to quench it. And then, yeah, I mean, and then I, I rough grind and expose, you know, the, you don't want to quench too thick. Right. You know, so I, I grind my knives down to pretty What does that mean? On a grinder, a knife no, grinder. No, what does that mean, quench too thick? Like if it's, if a lot of people will forge a knife and it's so thick and then they quench it and it doesn't allow it to cool itself fast enough so you're not reaching its full hardness. Right. You know, so you have to grind it pretty close. But the reason why people leave it so thick is they're afraid it's going to warp. And it, it does have a tendency to warp. Or crack. Or crack because you overheated it. But, I mean, I've, I've made four over 450 knives in the last three years and I've hardened every single blade out of a forge. Right. I do not use... Uh, like a kiln to harden my blades. It's all through visual contact. And how many times do you go through this process of throwing it in the kiln, hammering it out, grinding it, quenching it? I mean, it just, it all depends on the piece. Like sometimes I'll forge, like a Damascus block will be like two by two by an inch and I'll draw it out to a 12 inch chef knife. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you're making rapid growth in it. And so that takes a little bit longer. Uh, it just all depends on the blade, you know, but you want to forge it to shape, forge your bevels in, forge your distal taper, forge everything. And then, you know, then you do your finesse work by grinding it and, and you know, profiling it a little. And then you get it close to what it's going to be, harden it, temper it. And then you can go and grind it down to what its finished product is. Right. Now, when you're forging something, um, it, it's just pretty much stacking uh, different metals on top of different metals. Well, that's Damascus. You can forge mono steel, Damascus. Right. It doesn't matter. Like Once I make my Damascus, then I kind of make them into bars that I can draw out or, or cubes to do pattern welding, like that type of stuff. Right, right. But that's pretty time-consuming, right? Yeah, I mean, knife making in general is time consuming. I mean, it's, you know, I've been to knife factories where they just spit out knives like, you know, it's coming out of a, you know, coming out of a machine. And, you know, what I do is is old world. Sure, absolutely. And I think that's what everybody loves about your, your work and your art. You know, it's, it is. It's serious old school. And uh, I love it. I know everybody out there, you know, we just did a quick little Instagram live thing and just the amount of people from all over the world that were popping up, you know, you're seeing different flags from different countries just popping up all over the place. (laughs) You have a huge fan base right now and it's, it's awesome. People love you and it's, and your, your style of art is just incredible. Uh, you know, I, I appreciate that, but you know, it's not just about me. It's about the whole craft and yes you know a lot of times people say that i looked apart and yeah that's cool but you know like the day that i know that i i succeeded is the day that i'm not known as the fortune fire dude and uh, and that i'm also not known (laughs) for having long hair and tattoos like i want to be known as a you know as a as a a talented maker in its own and i have a long ways to go to prove myself and i don't mind proving myself every single day yeah, you've got a beautiful shop here, dude. Um, I pretty much see everything that in the world. I love those hammers. Are, are all those custom-made hammers? Yeah, so I actually work with a guy out of... Uh, I worked with a guy out of Portland, and uh, he hand-makes all my hammers for me, special to my style right. and to my use. Yeah, they're beautiful, beautiful. 
pieces. What do you uh, plan on working on here in the future? Do you have any any specific things in mind? Um, you know, I, I'm working on filming, you know, highlighting the American craftsman, kind of telling my story. But really, like, you know, I'm just trying to be in my shop every day, just trying to make something above and beyond what I did the day before, you know, and I'm blessed to have, I got a 25 year old Hanai son, an, an adopted son, and mm-hmm. he loves it just as much as He's me. He's in here working with and he, you. And he, he works two jobs and on the weekends when he sh- could be playing, he comes in here and cleans my shop and forges awesome. with me. He's like, I'm very, I'm very fortunate and that's what I'm going to leave behind for my boys. So I'm really, every day I'm just trying to build a legacy for my kids. That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you have any uh, any other shows coming up here soon? No. So one of the things that uh, me and my wife, my wife is uh, is from Brazil, mm-hmm. and she uh, grew up about 20, 30 minutes from Argentina. So she oh, has wow. like gaucho-style cooking. So me, Danny Bolton. And, right, because uh, me and Danny went and got a, a U for her to cook. Oh, yeah. 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 So, so me, Danny, and uh, Flora, we have a cooking event where we cook on, you know, a 500-acre coffee farm, and no electricity is used to cook. We, wow. uh, we uh, I hand-make everything that she uses to cook with. So whether it's welded and welded bars for a cooking implement or hand-forged tongs or or chef knives and butcher knives, I hand-make everything. And then she creates these uh, menus that kind of blend Hawaii, her culture, my culture together, and we roast everything over coal and fire. Nice. And about... You know, 80% of what we use is right there from that land. Like, she makes the breadfruit ulu, Mm -hmm. you know, gnocchi as the appetizer. Right. We do a wild boar. Um, We don't use wild meat for, um, you know, the actual event. Right. But when I'm doing filming, we actually do because that's how we feed ourselves. Um, But, like, so we just did one with, you know, with that sheep. We did a wild boar. Uh, so we did like a version of the Lao Lao. So we did wild boar, the fat, fish. Like we used Ono, but I think we're going to use like Kampachi next time. Right. And then she uses like these like yuzu leaves or I don't even know what it's called. And mm-hmm. then like she wraps it in the taro leaf, tea leaf, and then we steam it over the fire with lemongrass wow. in the water. And then she creates this soup, Brazilian soup, that's tomato base with coconut and uh, curry. And then when we open the lao lao, we pour the, the Brazilian soup over it. And it, the, the ulu that's also in the lao lao, like, thickens it. And it creates this, you know, kind of a unique experience where, you know, that. And then she, we roasted the sheep for seven hours. Right. And she bases it every 10 minutes with wine water oil and salt and it she uh uses an herb brush so it's a bunch of herbs banded together and bases it every seven hours and it's a cooking experience that you can kind of see like the old ways of life back when you didn't throw out the lemon because it didn't have the same shape as the other ones and using all the parts she cooks cow heart I mean, just about every inch of an animal she oh, yeah. can make, 
use of because that's part of her culture. And so when you're come to an event and such beautiful land where you can see 180 degrees of ocean and it's at 2,000 foot elevation and we're cooking right in front of you, splitting wood with a hand-forged axe, cutting everything, cooking everything in an old world process, it's beyond like farm to table, right? Or, you know, it, it, it and that's why we call it forge to table Hawaii. Right. It's an, it's an, an experience that it's not very common to see anymore. When, when can we plan on seeing this come out? Uh, we've done it a couple times. Uh, we're going to have one coming up in May. But, I mean, literally as soon as we started it, I got so many people wanting to film it right. that we've been only booking filming engagements, really. Um, but we're going to have one open to the public towards the end of May. Um, I'll have stuff on my Instagram to when it starts. Get, we're starting ready to sell tickets. But it's a, it's a very unique experience and man she is an amazing talented chef like and you know when i met her i asked her what do you want to do what are you passionate about and she talked about a little bit of those things and you know but she's the type of person that's very quick to just stay in the background and let me shine and i told her you have way more talent than me i was like i just hit shit with a hammer <laughs> like you're creating such beautiful and wonderful tasting things i was like your dreams are just as important as mine and so we were able to achieve this event in less than a year oh nice together nice um are you gonna invite other chefs to come in like sam Choi and join you guys oh yeah i mean it's it, it it's one of those things where we have like chris is a good friend of mine right. you know like any anybody that's really interested i was thinking about having shane up on the next one you right. know like you know like it's an experience where i've invited my first event i invited some crucial people that will really tell me like what they think I need to improve on. And I mean, everybody just really loved it because it's so funny because we took photos of it, but we looked so serious, me and my wife, Flora, because we like really wanted to taste good. <laughs> so we were just like so serious. Like, you know, so maybe this time we'll take better pictures and enjoy But it, but it is good to take it serious, you know? That's the whole thing. Have fun and take it serious. And this stuff's going to come out amazing. Yeah, I'm like, excited to see it oh yeah you, you should come up for one like she literally takes like a ribeye roast and packs it with this like flaky salt from brazil oh. and then she literally roasts it six hours on these hand forged stainless skewers that i made that look like swords wow and it goes through the meat and she just flips it like every so often and by the time you you think with that much packed salt on it would be salty but she takes it and bangs off all the salt and then just slices it it's probably the best. It is the best. Oh, it just breaks it down. Oh my god, it it's so it good. Man. Yeah, a lot of it's people so they ruin their they ruin their steaks. You know, a basic steak, you know, is just put salt, pepper on it, and I like to put olive oil on it just to you know keep yeah. that um, that tenderness on the inside. But uh, it's you don't have to put much on these things. Yeah. Have you ever been to Brazil? No, no, I haven't been to Brazil, but because yeah. if that whole you know low southern Brazil is just carnivore central, oh yeah, you know, and yeah, meat on meat on meat, meat on meat on yeah. meat, bro. Yeah. And like you go to a good Brazilian restaurant, even over here, and it's just like more meat than you know what to do with. You know, it's it's <laughs> yeah. insane. Yeah. Me personally, I love it. Oh yeah. The crazy thing is, you know, um, as a hunter. Uh, 
I'll post stuff on social media, and a lot of times I get all the vegans that, that are just beating me up for you know shooting this killer animal that's going to feed my family. Um, but they all come from Brazil, one of the most meat-eating countries on the planet. And they, that's usually where I get most of my bashing from, is from Brazil. Yeah, you know, I mean, I try and keep a lot of, you know, for me, like, social media is a really difficult thing because, uh, you know, if you do post hunting stuff, like, that's part of our culture here right. in Hawaii. That I grew up in Waimea. If we ate meat, it's because we hunted it or raised it. Right. You know, and that's part of my culture. And it's hard for people to understand that. But I think that if we spend all of our time, you know, just respecting each other, like I respect their opinions. I would never comment on their social media and about things that I disagree with. I think as long as we're doing a good job respecting each other, I think that it will all be fine. And I think that if I can show a different light on it, in how we live in Hawaii in a very tasteful way. You know, I'm not hunting for game. You know, we're hunting to create a meal for our friends and family, and that's how I was raised. But if there was somebody that doesn't eat meat, I make a great vegetable knife too. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I respect respect that too. I mean, you know, I I, I don't know what it's like to grow up as, as themselves and... And the experiences that they went through that sure. prevent them from doing that. And, you know, they don't understand what it's like to be me. So all we can do is just not be divided. Exactly. And, you know, that's the biggest thing is that social media is constantly dividing. Like, you have to believe in this or you're not my friend. Like, no, no, no. Right. Like, we just have to just all have respect and it's all respect good. and take care of each other and coexist nicely. Yeah. You know, be nice yeah. to each other. Um, just because one person uh, eats one way and one person eats the other doesn't mean that you got to hate that person. So um, we're going to wrap this thing up. Uh, where can people find you at, social media-wise? <laughs> so my shop's not open to the public just because... No, I'm not talking about your shop. I got to get work I saw done. that look on your face yeah. and you're like, no, 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 no. no. So social media-wise, where can people find okay, you? So if my- they want to custom order a knife online or... Yeah, so I have a website, T. Kamimura Blacksmith, and then my Instagram is RPM underscore Neil. And, um, you know, my books are closed. I do not take uh, requests. My books are closed for the next three years. But um, Slammed. I <laughs> yeah. love it. But, I mean, for for the, you know, for Instagram, I do make a couple knives a month that I will post up for sale just so they're not right. following me for the next three years with not a zero chance. Right. I do a lot of nonprofit work. Um, that's super important to me, especially involving children. Um, so that's kind of my focus. But, yeah, just the, that's the ways. Okay, cool. Well, Neil, thanks for being on the show. No problem. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And until next time, uh, who we hope. Thanks, Neil, for being on the show. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Don't forget to check out our sponsors, such as Onnit. Guys, the dog days of summer are almost behind us, and students are already back in some parts of the country. Make sure everyone is stocked up with products that will keep them healthy and thriving throughout the school year. From now through Sunday, August 25th, save 25% on selected supplements, 30% on selected foods, 10% 
off the Vision Day Pack at 50% off on the day. Items on sale include Total Gut Health, um, Total Strength and Performance, Total Keto Daily, if you're on that keto diet, Total Nitric Oxide, New Mood Shroom Tech, Sport and Alpha Brain Instant, and much, much more. Um, go check them out at onit.com. Once again, they always have a money back guarantee, 100%. If you don't like the product, you can get your money right back. Um, go check them out at onit.com forward slash doze nose, and it will take you straight to wherever you need to be and get all those killer deals and discounts. Um, that's onit.com forward slash doze nose. Uh, green energy drink. Uh, these guys are legit, man. Uh, they support a healthy and active lifestyle with their organic kick ass beverage. Um, it's the go-to beverage for surfers, divers, hunters, pretty much anyone who lives in action-packed lifestyle. Their certified organic brew contains powerful green tea to give you a natural boost, hydrating coconut water to keep you going strong, and kale to keep your body loaded up with phytonutrients. Um, if you guys haven't tried green energy drink yet, uh, you guys are seriously missing out. But you know what? There's good news right now. You know, I've been telling you guys this 25% off is the uh, promo code. It's my bad. It is 20% off. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But that's still an amazing, incredible deal. If you go to green Ener- drinkgreenenergy.com um, and punch in promo code DOZNOS, you get 20, 20% off anything that they have, any kind of drinks, any kind of gear or whatever they've got, it's 20% off. That's huge. This stuff is amazing, man. All my friends, they're loving this stuff. And one of the great things about it is it's free shipping. So uh, go to drinkgreenenergy.com, punch in promo code DOZNOS, and get 20% off with Green Energy Drink. You guys are ever over here on the Big Island, make sure you guys go to Kona Boys. They're the one-stop shop for ocean fun. They operate a legit selection of uh, local-style activities, including historical va'a rides, paddleboard tours, and lessons. And uh, and if you need rentals for boards and bikes and boogies and other beach goodies, Kona Boys is the spot. They're an official retailer for Patagonia Surf. But what's even better is they have their own line of some really sick stuff. Um, shirts, hats, you name it, they've got it. Um, you can uh, go check them out at their locations right here in Kona. Uh, one down in Captain Cook at the main store. The other one down at the Beach Shack at the King Kamehameha Beach Hotel. And uh, tell them you heard it on those notes. Get 20% off. Um, also, go check them out online at konaboys.com and uh, punch in promo code to- Kona, I can even talk. Punch in promo code Doze Nose and get 20% off. Um, they're an awesome store. The guys that own it, Frank and Brock, they're brothers for life. They've always taken care of this podcast. Let's take care of them. So go check them out, Kona Boys. Um, also, while you're here, stop at Kona Coffee and Tea. Get you a magical cup of that world famous Kona Coffee. They grow the stuff up on the mountains, of, on the slopes of Hualalai. Bring it down roasted and fresh daily just for us to enjoy. Um, it's amazing. They've got a shop right in town. And you can also find them online at Kona Coffee and Tea. 
Shopify.com and get all kinds of good deals from there that way. And you're not paying humongous bucks for 100% Kona coffee. And uh, you know how it is when you're over there in the mainland. It's, you're usually just getting a 10% blend. And so you're barely even tasting this good stuff. So go check these guys out. KonaCoffeeTea.com uh, Also go check out GoPro. GoPro has uh, got the best cameras in the world. My good friend Shane Dorian and Anthony Walsh and a few others just went to Australia. And they did some radical, radical surfing. Uh, tube sharing. They've got a whole movie out right now. You can look, go on to either one of their... Uh, social media pages or GoPro social media page and see these videos with the new prism it's ridiculous you gotta check this stuff out man it's insane they also got killer deals um, and uh, killer sales on GoPro you can get the new hero uh, really cheap and if you turn in your old they'll give you a hundred bucks towards the new one so go check them out GoPro.com uh, promo code DOZLOS. Um, also, let's not forget about Hurley. Hurley's the brand of today and tomorrow. And uh, they have the best clothes on the planet. Whether you're surfing or you're out of the water, you're snowboarding or skateboarding, Hurley's the place to go. So go check them out at Hurley.com. Tell them you heard it from Dozer Dave in Dozer Nose Podcast. And they will get you all dialed in. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And until next time, uh, who we hope. Everybody knows those knows. Everybody knows those And if you don't know, now you know. Everybody knows those knows.